Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, Pater! Pater! Hi, everyone, and welcome to Pater, a Penn State football show. Along with former Penn State and NFL quarterback Matt McGloin, I'm Tom Hannafin. This show is brought to you by our sponsors, Funk Brewing, the official craft beer partner of Pater. Now, we're big fans of Funk's Citrus IPA and Silent Disco IPA. However, we want to let you know about some Funk Brewing beers that are available this month. The Silent Luau Hazy IPA is out right now in Funk's tap rooms in Emmaus, Elizabethtown, and York, and it's on the way to your favorite grocers and beer distributors. Also, the Cruisin Belgian style white ale is available as of Monday, June 20th. You can find a variety of Funk Brewing beers at your favorite beer distributor and grocery store. Visit funkbrewing.com to learn where and how you can get their fantastic products. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. Please drink responsibly. Also, Paydirt is brought to you by our partners at Bet Online, who continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's NBA Finals, the NHL Stanley Cup final major league baseball the latest fighting news and even next season's early nfl futures head to betonline.ag today or use your mobile device to join and use our promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v to get the bonus and get into the action paydirt is presented by bet online where the game starts. And of course, as we announced on a, a recent edition of Paydirt, we now have official Paydirt merchandise. You can head to shop.believe.com to get the t-shirt. Uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, you can see it right here on your screen. For those of you listening, uh, on the chest over the heart, it's got the Paydirt show name. And then on the back, it says McGloin 11. So we're really leaning in to all you Matt McGloin fans. You uh, know, If you want, hop on shop.believe.com and get the shirt. I, I know you like it. The, the Hannafin shirt has to be coming soon. We just got to get you a number. What number did you wear in high school? Uh, so I wore five when I played quarterback, and then I wore 80 when I played wide receiver because I, okay. uh, I was a big Donovan McNabb fan as an Eagles fan at the time. Of course. And then I was a big Jerry Rice fan. So when I played wide receiver, I was like, I got to have 80. <laughs> So maybe one day we'll get to that stuff. But anyways, uh, thank you for tuning in on ESPN State College, as well as checking out the podcast version of the show, which is presented by the Believe Network. It's available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think of the show at ESPN Radio 1037 at McGloin QB 11 and at Tom Hannafin. This week, Matt, uh, we have another fantastic guest in what is shaping up to be a month of fantastic guests. More to come on that. This week, we have former Penn State offensive lineman Rich Ornberger. You two briefly overlapped uh, during your time in Happy Valley. He was an all Big Ten selection, first team and second team for two consecutive years at Penn State. Went on to enjoy a nice career in the NFL, and now apparently he's dominating the sports broadcasting scene in San Diego, California. So um, when you think of Rich, what memories come to mind? Well, right now, I mean, as you mentioned, he is a fantastic job in the broadcasting world and the radio world. It seems like he's everywhere. Um, you know, but he's always been, you know, uh, that uh, uh, it's hard to explain. You know what I mean? Like he's such a personable guy. He's a funny guy. He gets along with everybody. He's so down to earth that a note, there's no, you know, no question that his transition from the NFL into the broadcasting radio world was going to, uh, was going to be a successful one. But for me, you know, as you mentioned, yeah, Rich was a, uh, senior, when I walked in as a as a redshirt freshman, and uh, couldn't have been more of a nicer person, 
Um, you know, he, he wasn't a type of guy that, you know, cared if you were a five-star guy, four-star guy, walk on, whatever it was. He treated everyone the exact same way, understood we were all Penn State teammates, all Penn State players, wanted everybody to do well. Um, you know, and just imagine me, because a lot of times, Tom, what I would have to do is you would do like nine on seven run periods or team run periods or anything like that. And the starting quarterback, the backup quarterbacks would go throw seven on seven. They'd go throw one on ones with the starters. So they would put guys guys like me over there just to hand the football off during drills. So I'm walking in, I'm like first on campus. I'm walking in there now, get these reps with like AQ Shipley, Rich Orberger, those guys like that. So 18 year old kid, you know, first time in a big environment like that, walking in there with, with guys like Rich who are all big 10 guys, guys getting ready to go to the NFL. So, you know, right out the gate, I got a lot of experience, but again, those guys were awesome. Um, you know, really helped me along the way really a who's who when you think about it. And, you know, it's very simple in football. You know, we talked about my high school experience and even college. It doesn't matter what level you're at. If you're a veteran versus a newcomer, it's very easy as a veteran to just be like, you know what, I'm not dealing with this rookie, this newcomer, et cetera. Um, but, you know, in our conversation with Rich, uh, he's just such a warm guy and a very welcoming guy. And it sounds like not only did you have a good experience with him, but his teammates loved him at every level. And it speaks to why, you know, his last uh, team was with the Chargers when they were based in San Diego. So that's kind of how he got, you know, entrenched in the San Diego community. He's working for San Diego State University, calling some of their football, does stuff nationally for Fox Sports Radio in L.A. So it just kind of speaks to that mentality, because I think you would agree that's a hallmark of what Penn State football has been about, whether it's been the Paterno era or to now of upperclassmen, veterans supporting the newcomers. Yeah, and you asked me one of the things that stood out when I thought about playing with Rich that one year at Penn State is that he never took anything for granted, never took a day for granted. Always out there with a smile on his face, always loved playing football, loved being around his teammates, loved being a Penn State football player and a Penn State athlete um, and just had a blast. You know, so for me, again, a younger guy seeing that and learning like that's how you do it. This is how you approach every single day. He never let anything bother him either. You know what I mean? If Joe got on him or, or the offensive line coaches got on him or, you know, he had a bad play here or there, always bounced back, always had that positive attitude, that positive mindset, which, again, it's, uh, you know, was a massive reason why he was so successful at Penn State and in the NFL. Yeah, you got to have thick skin. So um, we're definitely going to get into some stuff with Rich in terms of his experience in the National Football League, uh, his thoughts on college football today, uh, because as you and I have discussed on multiple editions of this show, is that what's going on right now in college football is unprecedented. The, the changes that NIL has brought uh, to both Penn State and just every program out there, frankly, uh, it's been a lot to deal with. It's been a lot to process. The complexion of college football has changed altogether. So I'm very curious to hear from Rich here in this edition of Pater and a little plug for next week. As I mentioned, this is a star-studded month. We had Trace McSorley. We got the combo of Brackett and Zug. We've got Ornberger this week. Next week, Evan Royster is going to be with us here on Pater, still to this day, the all-time leading rusher in the history of Penn State football. So uh, it's, it's been a big month for Pater, Matt. You've been doing well. People like you, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. No, and the, the feedback has been fantastic, and it's been awesome to see so many guys willing to jump on the show and take the time, um, you know, talk about Penn State today, talk about their careers, where they're at now, what they're doing right now. And, you know, again, having the opportunity to have Evan on next week just one of the most consistent players that I've ever had the opportunity to be around. 
Looking forward to that next week. But before we go any further this week on Pater, here is our special guest, former Penn State offensive lineman, Rich Ornberger. Joining us now here on Pater, former Penn State offensive lineman, Rich Ornberger, who, according to his Wikipedia page, is also known as a sports media satirist. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I probably am not. Um, Rich, forgive me. uh, You have dominated the uh, market of San Diego, California since leaving the NFL. Um, List us off all the jobs you have right now, not only in San Diego, but Southern California. I'm going to miss a few. I really am. Uh, But... (laughs) My the, the the I try to keep the main thing the main thing, which is I entertain our radio listeners from six to nine a.m. every single morning on Extra thirteen sixty in San Diego. I'm a radio show host there. We talk a lot of sports, but we talk a lot of other stuff. You know, just whatever is interesting to us. We uh we'll 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 take those we'll take those securitist routes to uh, to uh, comedy wherever we're gonna go. Um, I also host a sports talk show on Fox Sports Radio on Sundays. Uh, it's Fox Sports Sundays from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. West Coast time. Do not make me try to translate to that. It's like one o'clock in the morning to four in the. No, I don't know. It's uh, it's something. Google it's, it. Yeah, yeah, everybody Google, Google it. it. It's yeah. great. Uh, also, uh, I'm the color analyst for the San Diego State football team. Uh, I'm a dad. I got two boys. You know, so that's probably the most rewarding job I do. But there's a bunch of other stuff, TV work and all, and, you know, contribute on FS1 and NBC7 in San Diego. It's it's nuts, but I love it. I love the fact that it keeps me close to sports and talking to guys like you guys. Oh, we appreciate the time, man. Uh, you know, we were talking about before you came on, you know, you wrapped up with the Chargers in 2014 and you just kind of stayed put in San Diego, which uh, my brother used to be stationed out there. So I completely agree with you in terms of why ever leave San Diego or Southern California. It's absolutely immaculate. But uh, we, we mentioned it or you mentioned it before we came on that, like you just necessarily didn't this kind of just happened all these opportunities in broadcasting. Was that even a thought when you were at Penn State? No, no. My 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 whole goal when I was at Penn State was to try to graduate and to play as uh, as good a football as I possibly could. I the funny thing is, when I was there, I uh, the whole time it was like I was pinching myself, you know, like, am I am I is this really happening? Because I, I never first of all, there's no way my parents could have afforded a school like that. Um I was thinking I was going to go join the military or maybe play lacrosse somewhere. That was the sport I really grew up playing on Long Island in New York. Like, you know, football is not really that big of a deal in, in New York overall. You know, there are states, Pennsylvania, one of them, that that is where all the, the, the college football players come from. So it wasn't really it wasn't really a thought process that it would all work out the way it did. And where the journey would essentially take me. I, but yeah, I didn't think I was going to play college football and I did. I didn't think I was going to play in the NFL and I did. And I would have never dreamed I would be a broadcaster, but that's the career path I'm on. So yeah, a lot of things that I didn't know ended up knowing later on. It's amazing. You've had, you've had a great path to it. Um, and looking back on your playing days, um, you know, like you were an all big 10 selection, a second team, all big 10 selection as well. Um, when you were in that moment, like you said, like you, you were kind of amazed to be in that situation, but considering the guys that you were around, like, was, was it a pinch me moment on a regular basis? Like, I know you would mess around with like AQ Shipley and the guy has also had a great NFL career. Like you were around some brilliant names. 
Oh yeah, yeah. We had a we had a really good team. I mean, McGloin obviously was the star of the cast. You don't have to blow smoke up his backside. No, not then, not then. I was a red shirt, but you guys. <laughs> let me tell you something. You guys were awesome to me. I said the same thing to uh, Brett Brackett, Graham Song on the uh, Graham Zog on the last episode. Man, just I just always felt the connection between freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, redshirt, senior, whatever it may be. It was always so strong. Guys never cared about where somebody was. They, they always understood that everybody needed support. Everybody need guidance. Everybody needed to kind of uh, learn on their own way. But like you guys understood how to help us each way and each day, man. And, and that's something that you don't forget. Um, that's something I, that's special about the program. Um, you know, and again, you guys were awesome, man. Cause you guys had, you guys had been there. You guys had done everything. So being able to be around you guys on a daily basis as a quarterback and just learning about the game, standing there watching um, was so impressive. I always remember thinking too, I, like, I'm like, here I am, 185 pound kid walking in and Rich is freaking massive, like 320, 325. I'm like, this guy's freaking huge, dude. Like, I don't know how, you know what I mean? I don't know how we're on the same team. But, you know? I want to I come back to the lacrosse thing, not to, to cut you off or anything, but like you were listed at 6'2", 300 pounds. So what position were you going to play in lacrosse? And how badly was everybody else going to be messed up after those games? <laughs> I was uh, I was a crease defender in lacrosse. Uh, if you know, you, you know. Yeah, it was uh, – I, look, I was much lighter. So in high school, th- this is uh, a crazy part of my origin story playing football because um, – like I said, I thought I was going to play college lacrosse if I was going to go to school at all. You know, I was thinking, yeah, if that doesn't work out, you know, I'll join the army or the the Marines or something. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad it all worked out because, you know, what I really love is the idea of being on a team and like people depending on you and then also being a great player where there's more pressure. Like I just enjoyed that aspect of it. And football is the ultimate team sport. So when I found it late, I only started playing in eighth grade. Um, I fell in love with it because even more so than in lacrosse, you really had to rely on the people around you and people had to rely on you to get the job done. And so, uh, but I had some weight to put on my, my junior season, I played um, offensive tackle and defensive end at 210, 215 pounds and so over the course of that offseason, I put on 70 pounds. I think Good I, God. I, I, think, I think I weighed in. I'm not kidding. I think I weighed in officially like the, the day before our first game of the my senior season at like 281 pounds. So the grocery uh, I, bill in your house. Good God. Oh, no, it, it, dude, it was disgusting. It was a relentless onslaught <laughs> of food and training and trying not to throw up while I was training after school because I was just trying to keep the three school lunches down that I had pounded oh, you know, during one period of the school day. But you know what? That's the sacrifice that every player's, player makes. You know, there's something they sacrifice to get there. And, and going back to what Matt said, you know, um, I'm so glad to hear that you felt that way about our mm-hmm. senior class, because if there was one thing I didn't like in, I didn't like it in college. I didn't like it in high school. I didn't like it during my time in the pros is that, you know, they're, they're, look, they're, everybody's got to earn their stripes, but I was not into hazing. I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's carrying my shoulder pads. Um, you know, you, you can goof around with somebody, you can tease them, whatever. That's fine. But like, 
I'm not here to demean anybody and I don't want anybody to feel like there's not daylight or oxygen for them to be able to grow and turn into the next crop of great players who are going to be, you know, uh, affording opportunities for young guys, hopefully too. So I remember when you came in, buddy, uh, our lockers were close to each other. And I just always liked you. Like you were, you, you seemed like a nice guy, like, you know, and so it's one of those things where I'm like, just because he's a, a freshman or just because he's a redshirt doesn't mean that one day he won't be a great player here too, just like I was. Because trust me, when I walked in the door and I was getting my head kicked in by Levi Brown and literally <laughs> he was mopping the field with the back of my jersey, it didn't look like my prospects were all that great either. But you learn and you grow and you develop. So I'm glad you felt that way because that was one of the things I would talk to guys about it. Other seniors, I'd see him doing some stuff and I'd be like, hey, Chief, we got to slow that down because – you know, one day we're going to come back and we're going to be watching this dude tear it up. So um, I'm glad to hear you said that. But yeah, it's it's uh, it, it is it's a, it was a big family out there at Penn State and I was glad to be a part of it. You always had a smile on your face, which I, I, I'll, I'll never forget that every single day you're the most jolliest guy out there just having a blast, having fun and just just enjoying it, man. And uh, look, look, for me, that's that's such a important factor of being able to play division one football is finding the fun in it day in and day out. And like, obviously now the work you're doing today, we can sit here and talk to you about anything. So we're going to, um, <laughs> you know, the, the fun factor for me, I hope isn't getting kind of pushed away with NIL money, all this news, um, you know, potentially $13 million a year to keep a roster together. You know, we've heard Ryan day and Ohio state talk about, so like rich, how, with all going on, all of this going on today in this college football world, how do we find balance? Boy, that's a, you know, that's, that's the question. If I had the answer for today, um, somebody would put me in charge of something, right? Because everybody is looking for the answer to that question. Um, here's what I will say. Uh, look, change, it's not always for, for the good, but change is really the only constant we have in life. You know, as soon as you start to feel yourself getting used to anything, it's going to change. I mean, I'm raising children. I know you are too. Like you, you, you kind of get used to it. It's like, oh, this is what it's like raising a, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. And then all of a sudden they turn six and a half and three and a half. And you're like, oh, they're completely different people. You know what I mean? Like you, you, I'm a broadcaster. Like, oh, this is how you do it. You know, well, my opinions on how to be a good broadcaster when I started broadcasting versus six years, seven years later now have completely changed. So everything changes. That's the universal constant. And football was due, overdue for major changes. I mean, I came in a completely broke college football player on a scholarship. And it was told to me that it was such a great honor to be here playing for this school. And trust me, at first, I, I believed it and I lived it and I enjoyed it. And I realized how great of an opportunity it was for me. And it springboarded me into a career into the NFL and then broadcasting after that. But there was another side to it that, that didn't seem fair because you looked at some of the salaries that head coaches are commanding in NCAA and coordinators and assistant coaches. I mean, right down the line and you're thinking, whoa, there's a lot of money to be had in college football. And the risk versus reward for coaching at that level is very different from playing. You know, both of us, we know guys who are – you know, still walking with a limp from their time playing college football. And it's not like they had 
extended health care if they were finished playing. You know, it's, it's not like they, uh, you know, they, they, they got their pockets padded in any significant way outside of the tuition that may or may not have been paid for them based on whether they're a scholarship or walk on. And to me, that's the part of it that name, image and likeness is going to balance out in some ways. It's the Wild West right now. So I, I think guardrails are important. And I think at some point we'll, we'll start to understand where those guardrails need to be placed. But I think everybody's in such a rush to start making regulations and start putting in those, those guardrails immediately, as opposed to just sort of seeing where the paths get worn and then realizing like, okay, this is the way it's being done. Let's slightly tweak it. Let's make it a little bit more manageable and then go from there. But look, the rush is to, to regulate immediately as opposed to see where, you know, the story is going to take us naturally. Yeah. So I, when I'm thinking, like I'm thinking about this. I'm just trying to figure out, like I'm trying to find a point to even start with it. Do you start with the NCAA? You start with the school. You start with the recruiting process. Does, does it start with the recruits? Like, is it, is it becoming like, are you chasing money? Are you chasing wins? Are you chasing an education? Are you, ch- are you chasing how to learn, grow, develop, and become a good player? Like w- what has become more important in college football today? That's, uh, again, another terrific question. I would say this, the same imperatives are in place for now. Like I think, I think if you're going to be a great college football player or a great prospect to go on and play college football, you need to first fall in love with this game, you know, and that's that's going back to where we we're talking about it being the ultimate team sport. There's so much sacrifice. There's so much selflessness that goes into being a great football player that you really do have to love the game first and foremost. But you also have to understand at a certain point in your career, whether you are so fortunate to play at the college level or if you don't if you're not really indoctrinated to the business side until your professional career, that at a certain point. It is a business, you know, you know, my, my first day on campus, you know, that there was an offensive line coach who was worried about my development. And, and yes, it's because he wants to get the best out of me as a, a young man and make sure that I have a, a great career. But also there, there is the aspect that his job depends on me developing as an offensive lineman. So there is that huge business aspect to it. And then there's a weight and a pressure that a player with any sort of awareness of that carries with him. It's like, oh, geez, like, I like this guy. If I don't perform well, I'm going to get him fired. You know, so it's, it's happened slowly, but you start to realize like, Oh boy, yeah, this is a business. And, and then when, when you really widen the aperture and you broaden your scope and you really take in more information and you realize how big of a business college football is overall, how many people are watching it, how many people are betting on it, how many people are showing up at these games in state college or at the horseshoe or at the big house, man, like, like that's a part of the story too. So you know, going back to the original question, there are certain guys who chase glory even before there was name, image, and likeness. There were certain guys who were already had ambitions for the NFL um, before they were juniors in high school. You know, uh, you know, and they were talking about the money and thinking about the money, and maybe surrounding themselves with people who are talking about the money and thinking about the money. So, for certain guys, that won't change. I think it's going to be a bigger part of the conversation as this dialogue evolves, though. 
you mentioned the business aspect of it. And like, I, look, I get that. It's a business at any level, college, NFL, performance-based business. You don't perform. You're not going to be there very long. You're not going to have a job very long. You know, you mentioned the assistant coaches, obviously your development and the way you play determines whether they have a job a year or a year or two, whether they get a promotion in a year or two, whether they become a head coach in a year or two. But when you look at some of the head coaches out there now with all that they're dealing with, are we, is, is everything that's going on, is that taking away from the teaching aspect of the game? And are, are we okay with saying, well, he's the head coach. So it's more, he's more of an overseer. Now he's more of a CEO because all of the things that he has to deal with outside of the football world now. And if that's the case, Rich, then how, how can I hold my assistants and everybody accountable? Like who do they look to then and say, well, maybe I'm not doing my job as a coach, helping develop this guy or that guy. If I can't be as hands-on as I've been in years past, because of transfer portals, NILs, recruiting, just trying to keep everything together. It's another log on the fire. And you, you put it beautifully when you describe the head coach as a CEO. Because even before name, image, and likeness, a, a lot of the things that a head coach is dealing with on a daily basis, it's, it's football adjacent. It's not football. You know, it's the donors who, who contribute to the program, um, dinners, you know, to make sure that uh, wealthy alumni are informed of the recent successes of the program. Um, it's, it's conferences with athletic directors and other head coaches. It's the recruiting process and all the other things that we know that goes into the offseason to actually build a roster and build a team. It's managing coaches. And by the way, managing coaches who are oftentimes looking uh, for that step up. You know, if you are a great defensive line coach, maybe you could become a defensive coordinator with a different school. If you're a great defensive coordinator, maybe you could become a head coach. Same thing on the offensive side of the football. So you're also trying to keep an eye on your chicken coop because you're going to be poached at some point. You know, some some coyote is going to be coming in from outside and saying, hey, you know what? You got a lot of good chickens over there. You know, your assistant coaches are pretty talented. We, we need we need some of that in our program, especially the assistant coaches who are better recruiters. Those are the ones who typically get promoted and advanced in this in this way a lot sooner. So, no, you're right. I mean, it's another log on the fire. It's a lot to consider. It's a lot to worry about. And I think certain things have emerged, like I said, organically, naturally, um, that that will help a head coach keep on top of it a little bit. These collectives that are starting to uh, you know, starting to coalesce around these football programs and, you know, trying to uh, establish some sort of uh, flat rate for scholarship players to come to the school or to, to you know, connect players with opportunities through their, their, their name, image and likeness and stuff like that. I, I mean, I, I, is that the best way to do it? I, I don't know. But it's the way it's starting to happen organically right now. And I'm very curious to see what that turns into as the story continues. But, yeah, it, it is another thing for head coaches to have to concern themselves with. So a, a little bit less time because there's only 24 hours in the day that they'll get to actually spend with the players and and concentrate on the, the football aspect of being a football coach. So to that, yeah, I don't know if there's any great – eloquent solution to it it's just it's a lot of power for one man to have but shoot we elect presidents and prime ministers the world over you know it's somebody's got to do the job 
at the end of the day, it's an arms race. And, you know, I see a lot of the, the discussion, on whether it's national or local, in terms of people getting really upset about, you know, the heart of college football is being lost. And Kirk Herbstreit's been on the record about this a lot of times, and I've not agreed with a lot of what he said. But it's like, are we we're being a little naive about how this is going? Like, let's not pretend that players haven't been getting paid under the table, regardless of sport. Like, I have a really hard time believing that SMU and Pony Excess was an isolated incident and then that it's never happened again. I mean, are we just being a little childish and we just need to accept? Yeah, it's a business. Yeah, yes, we are. We are being both naive and a little bit immature about this because Look, the tantruming to, to sort of tie it back to that immaturity that you're hearing from certain prominent people in college football, whether they're voices around the game or coaches themselves about this aspect of the game changing uh, is a little nauseating because there's a lot of people who have gotten rich on this sport and not a lot of those are players. Now, I'm talking about college football specifically. Now, all these players, once they got into the league or they found a way to spin off the success they had in their college football career, whether it be in media or otherwise, you know, they can become titans of industry elsewhere and make a fortune. But specifically talking about the four years or five years that they're on campus, they're, they're, not, they're not getting paid commensurate for their worth to the universities they play for. A tuition, frankly, is not enough to uh, balance the workload versus the, the, uh, uh, the physical toll alone, <laughs> the physical toll, and then the revenue generation to bring it back to the business model that say a USC football player, uh, uh, you know, that, that equation we're talking about, like the four years that say a running back who ends up having a really successful career at USC, maybe he ends up earning a $200,000 tuition. You'll say, well, geez, that's a lot of money, $50,000 per semester. But the truth is maybe he made that school a couple of 10 million, you know, maybe in Jersey sales and interest in games, you know, you're telling me Reggie Bush, he, he, he didn't, he didn't, didn't push sell a few tickets. Yeah. You know, some of those concessions weren't sold because Reggie was out there tearing it up. I Look, that's one example. There's millions or really thousands of examples of this. Right. And so I there there eventually this pendulum was going to swing back toward the players. And, and here we are now. And you're absolutely right. Your concerns about some of the innocence being lost and maybe some of the, the daylight being shined on the naivete of the general public about what's really been happening by this, behind the scenes in college sports, not just college football, but college basketball as well and other profit uh, generating sports. But it, I think daylight's a good thing. It's the ultimate sanitizer. And I think that there was a lot of corruption, a lot of really sad stories that resulted from that and bad paths that people took. And, you know, hopefully with more attention being paid to this um, and more opportunity, uh, you know, players will have an easier time navigating these waters as opposed to having to feel like, well, geez, I could play four years at school X and turn my back on my family who's struggling back home, who I was working a part-time job to help support our household, you know, income, or I can take this underhanded deal from this wealthy alumni booster, hope that my legacy isn't tarnished while I'm playing and having a successful career at school X and help out my family while I'm pursuing my dreams. 
Like now it's all in the open. It's like, no, 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 you don't have to take the underhand to deal with the shady guy with the trench coat, with the, you know, the, the manila envelope stuffed with cash. Now American Airlines will give you a million dollars to say like, hey, I love the extra leg room, you know? So there's, there's something, I don't know, there's a little bit of poetic justice occurring right now. Yeah, and, and maybe the answer at some point is just getting a little bit more organized, a little bit more regulation. Um, you use the word family, and that uh, sparked a, a question in my head because you're based in San Diego. You played with the Chargers. You played with um, the man with maybe the biggest family in uh, the history of professional sports. And I might be wrong on that. I think Antonio Cromartie's probably got him beat, but Philip Rivers. And I was thinking about, you were saying before we came on, you do some stuff for Fox Sports Radio in L.A., so there's a bit of a commute there. Have you thought about adopting the Philip Rivers mobile? Like I remember reading stories about, oh, yeah, this SUV that was decked out. And he could watch film and it would transport him between San Diego and L.A. <laughs> Dude, yes, many times I've thought about ways to make that commute a little bit more comfortable. Philip, boy, he th that the inside of that, it was like a sprinter van that he created this modular film study like meeting room. Uh, and it was really smart and it was a great way to sort of ease the burden of making that commute every day and uh, and being able to and be able to keep his family from being uprooted when he spent, you know, the entirety of his career prior to the years in L.A. And then the year he spent in Indianapolis uh, at that point, though, they I, the family was moved down to Alabama. But, yeah, many times, many times I had considered geez, you know, is it worth getting a driver? Is it, I don't know, is there a better way to do this? But yeah, you know, what's interesting about uh, broadcast now is like, you know, like we're doing right here, there's so many different ways to do it now. And the pandemic really rushed that. Uh, I think we had the infrastructure in place. I think we had the, uh, the, the bandwidth, obviously both, you know, speaking, uh, 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 you know, speaking technically, but also just from a mental capacity, people had the ability ability to do this we just weren't using facetime or zoom or skype or and now we are and uh, you know so a lot of times i could do my la show that's broadcast you know hundreds of markets across the country from my son's bedroom in san diego if i want to you know what i mean like <laughs> if perfect. the rest of the house is too noisy i can escape and like be in a closet for crying out loud are you doing so. a show from a race car bed yeah what do you think man <laughs> As it turns out, yes. Oh, uh, my God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Lightning McQueen is just below my feet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, as I mentioned, when we started this, uh, you, you are known as a, a satirist, a satirist, satirist. How do you pronounce that? I feel like an idiot. I don't know. I'll don't tell know. you what. You're a funny guy. Yeah. <laughs> somebody, somebody on Wikipedia changed it. They, you can. It's like open Good. source editing. And I was like, yeah, all right, fine. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> on ESPN State College, I'm introduced as a sports media icon. And yes. that's also ridiculous. I thanks love to them. That. I'm I like, thanks, that. guys. Whatever. Um, <laughs> not the truth. But anyway, so you've got to give me, Rich, a, a good McGloin story, a good McGloin anecdote. I need it. What do you got? On the well, spot. I, dude, I, I one of my favorite things, again, about Matt was – when I first, when, when he first came in, he just looked nervous all the time. I just remember like, you know, I mean, look, we're all kids. When you show up on campus, you have, you have no buddies. I mean, maybe you knew a couple of guys from the recruiting trail 
maybe uh maybe uh maybe you had like a, a friend or two who went to the school from your high school or something like that um but overall like you're a stranger in a strange land and i just remember his locker being like two or three down from me and uh and he just always looks so nervous so and when i see that all i want to do is just be like yeah hey buddy like get it together <laughs> like we're going to be we're in this so i think one day uh one day i was walking past his locker and he might have been hanging his head. I mean, whatever. I mean, we, he might have been felt whooped from a hard practice or or was thinking about something, but he's kind of like, like, you know, hunched over his elbows on his knees and his head was down. I was just like, McGloin! And like, I just shouted it from across the way and he, his eyes darted up like, oh my God, who's talking to me? And I was like, yeah. like, keep your head on a swivel, buddy. You never know. And like, and that just became the thing. Every time I saw him, I shouted his last name at him for an entire year, which I imagine at certain times, like especially if I was walking past one of his classes or saw him in the, you know, the commons, the cafeteria. On Somewhere campus. in the hub of where it echoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like he probably didn't love it. No. But- uh, you know what, man? It, it, it made me feel good. And that's, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it was a confidence thing because sometimes you just, you need that. Like, it's not even like, you don't even need, like, that's what I've like learned as well. Like from, from guys like you, Rich is like, you don't even need to say like, Hey, you know, let's, let's get better with this route. Let's get better with that route, man. Like sometimes it's just, it's just talking to guys. It's just picking guys up. It's finding a little bit more out about them, you know, you know, where they come from, what their lives are like. It's just communicating well, but it, it makes you feel a part. Like it makes you, because let me, let me be honest for a second. Like I didn't initially, I didn't feel a part because I was a walk on. You know, I don't have a scholarship. I'm pretty sure nobody even knew who the hell I was. So, you know, you just, you just, you're searching, you're trying to find out who you are, where you fit, where you belong. When you got an all big 10 offensive lineman, a 50 year guy, you know, was going to be out to be a fourth round draft pick, you know, is, uh, you know, shouting your name and giving you some credit, man. It, it builds confidence. It really does. It makes you feel good. And you, you're able to roll and, you know, start to feel better, start to play better, man. So I always, always appreciated that. I've always appreciated the guys that I had the opportunity to play with, man. Um, you know, and, uh, and that's why Penn State is so special. Um, and you, you know what, you, the, the thing that you said that really stuck out to me is that feeling of like not belonging. Yeah. And I trust me, I felt that way too. Like when I showed up on campus with whatever it was, my five years of playing experience in football and, you know, working against guys who have been playing since their peewee days um regardless of walk-on or scholarship it didn't matter i just felt like like i can't hang like Mm -hmm. i'm gonna i'm just gonna get dominated out here on a daily basis and then you know just seeing how certain guys who i recognize as not being particularly hard workers or even all that talented of players not not treating young guys well and just thinking to myself like like, who the hell does this guy think he is talking to a human being? Like, yeah, I get it. We're on a football team, and some of it, it's like everybody's got to know their place. But, like, it just – I mean, that always that always tweaked me. And then on top of it, I didn't make life easy on myself because – let's just put it this way. Richie wasn't all that prepared to be a college student when he walked through the doors, all right? You know? Is this a, a little- Tommy Boy situation? Herbie Hancock is the answer you're putting down. You, you know? know, a lot of people go to college for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> Those people are doctors. Yeah. Uh, which I was not. Yeah, it was it was like that. It honestly was like that. I was like, am I ever going to graduate? Is it going to happen? Is it possible? 
Um, but yeah, you know, like those are like, and Joe also, it was Joe Paterno. He obviously uh, was the head coach there forever. He was my coach during uh, my time there. One of the things that he, he liked to do with guys that he thought were tough enough and that he saw value in doing this to was making an example of them. Mm-hmm. And I was an easy guy to make an example of, you know, because I was kind of a knucklehead. I was a talented guy. I was a hardworking guy. And so he would. You can take it. You can take it. And he knew that. Yeah. And he would bury me on the depth chart every single spring. I would be playing with the fourth team, fifth string guys sometimes and battle my way up the depth chart to be a starter again. I mean, this happened my entire career. I think all but with the exception of my fifth year senior spring, I was somewhere on buried on the depth chart. I mean, I, I ended up starting, I don't know, 40 games at Penn State, but he would put me on the second string or the third string, you know, just to prove the point, just to show everybody else like, hey, you screw around. Like, it doesn't matter who you are. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll make an example of you. So that happened to me a lot. And, and you know, to be, fr- to be frank, I mean, it pissed me off at the time. But looking back on it, that's also what helped me generate a relationship with a lot of the guys who were first walking in the door. Because again, that, that thought process of football being the ultimate team sport, if my line, my third string offensive line is going to have success, it doesn't matter if I'm good. It doesn't matter if I'm, you know, a big 10, all big 10 player or not. The guy next to me has to play that way. So that you just learn to like, encourage a younger guy like dude you are this close you just need to do this and this and this let's do it and like so that was part of my my path at Penn State too was I was constantly surrounded with the youngest players on the roster where I was depending on them in some ways to like hey look we're in this together and and so yeah it didn't matter if it was Maddie McGloin walking in the door for his first spring or if it was Daryl Clark who had been around the program and he was you know uh, helping us win a ton of football games everybody to me was the same everybody deserved the same amount of respect that's a great mindset rich it really it really is love that rich thank you so much for taking the time keep dominating southern california sports <laughs> broadcasting as you have uh if you guys want to know all the places that you can check out rich because there's a lot of them uh, head to his twitter at ornberger o-h-r-n-b-e-r-g-e-r i hope i spelled that right i'm pretty sure i did it's a bit of a nightmare like my last name uh but rich thank you so much best of luck to everything you got going on best of you and your family and thanks for coming on No, thank you. It was a pleasure being on with a legendary Penn State quarterback and a media icon. (laughs) There it is. And I can retire. I'm out. (laughs) Thank you all so much for joining us. We'll be back on ESPN State College next Thursday, again, from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. If you want to check out the podcast version of this show presented by the Believe Network, this episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter at ESPN Radio 1037, at McGloin QB11, and at Tom Hannafin. Pater is presented by Bet Online and by Funk Brewing. Thanks again, everyone, and join us next week for more Pater. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.